0: All right, yeah, so um, as Chris just explained, I'm David, um, and I have the privilege of walking with you guys and unpacking this a little bit. Um, just a heads up, I'm, I'm going to be focusing on more 1 uh, Peter 1 through 6, and then who knows what Chris is going to do?
1: <coughs> Chris
0: does. <laughs> Chris knows, Chris knows, and God oh. knows. Um, yeah, one sec, let me just get set up here. And just bear with me as I work a little bit through some nerves. Um, but, man, what a, what, a, what a privilege it is to be up here, um, to be, yeah, doing this with family and uh, figuring this out. So, yeah. All right. Yeah. Man, so what, what a call. What a call to live up to. Um, and on the surface, kind of, it's, it's easy to get caught up uh, with the idea that Peter is calling us to sinlessness, um, that's easy easy to get kind of stuck there, and I, I know I did. As I kind of unpacked this at the beginning, I was I was like, man, this is this is a weighty text, um, and and it is a call to synthesis. But I also think first that's a, it's an it's an invitation to come and die. Um, so let's let's look at how we got here. Peter, as a reminder, is is talking to the exiles, the sojourners, the foreigners of Asia Minor. Uh, Asia Minor, the people who have just become Christians and are now facing persecution. And um, as we've been learning over the past few weeks, that Peter is really calling these new believers up. He's reminding them of their identity, who God has called them to be. And, um, and he's calling them to have faith in God in all circumstances. And he's, he's really calling them to become like Jesus. So we see in this section that it's that same high call to become like Jesus, to come and die for the sake of others. Our lives are never meant to be easy, and as we allow ourselves to be disillusioned by this idea, we walk away from the invitation that Jesus has for us. A life full of faith, excitement, and yes, suffering, but also of God's beautiful provision and presence. It just reminds me of the verse in Matthew 16, that we would have, uh, what would we have won if we gained the whole world but lose our soul? <sighs> we as Americans really have to fight this idea every day that God gets to sit way up wherever and we get to just kind of go along with our lives and uh, we call on Him when we need Him or when we want something. Um, but, and let's be honest the Western church, we're so far removed from this idea of suffering. Not that we don't go through hard things, of course we do, but Orange County is so much better than so many places in the, um, you know, anywhere else. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, But here in this verse, we're given the challenge. Arm yourselves with the same attitude as Christ. So what is that attitude and why? We have to look at what Christ did. He lived his life as an outcast, and no one understood him. And he suffered the worst fate. He took on the sin of all of us and the whole world. He did it with joy. He had a way out and he chose not to take it. And he would do it again and again if he had to. He freely chose to give his life away for me and for you guys. And now we're called to make that same decision. So how do we do that? I think first we have to equip ourselves with, as Chris would say, a robust theology of suffering. And as we acquaint ourselves with this idea of suffering, understanding that suffering is the reality that Jesus has called us to, we come to the crossroads and face ourselves with, uh, we're faced with this question, is it worth it? And that's, that's a loaded and packed question, and really I hope you guys struggle with that question. You have to. That's core to the invitation Jesus gives. It says, pick up your cross and follow me. And once we've, once we've answered that question for ourselves, hopefully we come to this place, that Jesus is worth going through the evil and terrible things of this world for, and that his way is far better than our own, and that, um, yeah, his, his will is what we want for our lives. And thankfully, he did it first. So he's ge- given us a beautiful, beautiful example uh, of us how we can follow in ex- in his footsteps. And he's given us so much great grace and equi- equipping us with everything we need to do that. Yeah. <laughs> now we get to the sinless part. Um, I think the sinless ceases to sin in here. let quote: ceases to sin. isn't uh, isn't talking about sinless perfection, but evidence of a changed life. When we are settled in our minds to suffer for the uh, cause of Christ, it marks us as different from our former way of living. Arming ourselves with a cruciform theology of suffering shows that in a very real sense, we have triumphed over the power of sin. As Tom Schreiner says, the commitment to suffer reveals a passion for a new way of life a life that is not yet perfect, but remarkably different from the lives of unbelievers. So we see that as we choose God and walk in unity with him, we are moved to suffer with him and are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be done with the ways of the world. When I was a junior in college, I had a a really rough year. And now the end of that story was uh, one night me finding myself being arrested and charged with a DUI. And all of a sudden, I find myself at a crossroads. Did I really believe that my God was the Savior, um, was the creator and Savior of this world, and that his way was better than my own? At that point, I could honestly say I wasn't sure. And so I just decided I need to scrap everything I think I know. And I had to be honest with God and with myself. And I had to, to, for the first time in my life, sit with all that I was, all the brokenness, all the good and the bad and the ugly. And it was in that moment, it was in those those times that I realized it's worth it. Because God came and he decided to sit with me in that, in all the filth. It felt like I was sitting in a pit of mud and just eh, evil grossness. And yet the creator of the world came and sat with me. He came and sat with me, and he chose me in that moment. And it was that truth, it was that love, that that perfect love, that's when I decided. God, you are are worthy of my praise now and forever, and I will always chase your face. So we see in verse 6, and it was for this reason, the gospel, the good news that Jesus loves them, died for them, and is offering them a new way of living. That's why it was preached, even to those who are now dead, they might choose, uh, that they might choose to live, even suffer for Christ, and thus choosing to be done with sin and live according to God in regard to the Spirit. Wow. So my call is this, to equip yourselves with a theology of suffering and then to actually put it into practice. I invite you to have this conversation with God. Invite him to open your mind and your heart to what he has for your life. In Romans 12, 2, it says, you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And as you renew your mind with this theology of suffering, we are aligning our hearts with the Father's. And then, to read through the Gospels, familiarizing yourselves with the way Jesus suffered, and having the mindset that you might have to do the same thing. Yeah, so just being prepared and understanding that this is what we're called to. Hmm. So God, I just ask that you give us the courage and the endurance to suffer for you and with you. We want nothing more to, than to live our life as your faithful servants. Hmm. Amen. Amen. That's what I have for you guys Good.
1: That's the biggest Bible I've ever seen David. More anointing I'm sure. Well done man. I'm so proud of you guys really uh, Paul, wherever you are, we're up next you and me man. You and me, we're up next. The phrase which I think is pivotal to this whole conversation is indeed chapter 4 verse 1, arm yourselves. Arm yourselves. That is a ramp up. That's a military phrase. What can happen is we can rush from arm yourselves and make suffering the big word there. Suffering is a big word in this passage but I think that Peter intentionally uses military language. He intentionally is calling us to something else, something that requires us to become, as one of the translations said, arm yourselves in brackets like warriors. I I I think that he is asking us to posture ourselves to think like warriors, Now that's a big problem because how many of you have been to the Army or the Air Force or the Navy or what have I left out? How many of you? Air Force. Whatever. See, so we don't know what this means. So so this is a very foreign idea to us. We see movies about it. We have a brother or a cousin or a dad who fought in Korea or somewhere, but it's not something we understand. In fact, John Mark suggests that it's one of the reasons why young men initiate themselves with tattoos, with excessive drinking, with crazy risks, joining gangs, trying to satisfy an inner longing, and that inner longing in us is to fight. It's not very PC. It's not very cool to talk about us being warriors. And yet that is the appeal and the language which Peter uses here. That's why, to me, this chapter is an incredible game changer. Recently, about four months ago, in South Africa, there were rioting and looting, much bigger story I won't go into. But what was interesting, the word went out through all the suburbs, arm yourselves. Now, see, as South Africans, we know what that means, because I was an infantry officer. So I know what that means. I know that that means at night I won't be sleeping with my family because I'll be protecting them at the major crossroads. It means if I have any weapon, I strap it to my side or I carry it. And those who did not have used the knob carry, which is what you see Zulus have, kind of a tall stick with with a knob at the top. Every man positioned himself at the entrance to his street, his neighborhood, his suburb. They took turns through the night to arm yourselves. There is an enemy. They want to take what you've got, and the police aren't effective enough. Mobilize. My brother was driving around with his Glock attached to his side. Many of the brothers, I say that in quotation marks, arrived with machine guns with every form of weaponry available. Why? Because there is a call to something. See, Peter is asking us to arm ourselves to something. David, in this exquisite passage, it says this. Now, Why is it I can't find it when I dearly need it? Here we go. These were the men who came to David in Ziklag. While he was banished from the presence of Saul, son of Kish, they were among the warriors, soldiers, men who knew how to fight with their left hand and their right hand. Ishmael, the Gibbonite was a mighty warrior amongst the 30, and he was the leader of the 30. They were brave warriors. They were capable with all manner of weapons their faces were the faces of lions they were swift as gazelles in the mountains they came to David there was a whole bunch of Benjamites and he walks out to meet them who is he he is the poet songwriter king and he says to them before you come in the camp I have to know have you come to me in peace to help me I'm ready for you to join me, but if you have come to betray me to my enemies, when my hands are free from violence, may the God of our ancestors see it and judge you, and the Spirit came on Amazai, the chief of the city, we are yours, David. We are with you, son of Israel or son of Jesse, success, success to you, and success to those who help you, and David received them and made them leaders of his raiding bands. Ladies and gentlemen, that was the language of the biblical times. There is a whole part of our Christian armory that we don't have, because we don't know what it means to be a soldier in the army of the Lord, which sings well. What the heck does it mean? They joined David for a specific purpose in mind, and the purpose was to bring the ark back to Israel. God is calling us through this writing to a specific assignment, which we will get to in just a moment. Now, you haven't been to a boot camp. You may not even have seen a movie or a TV or a documentary about a boot camp because you don't even know what that means. Who wants to buzz their hair, have little sleep, have boots, make your feet Blister and bleed. Lose your identity. You look like a thousand other men and women. You have bad food and you're fighting next to strangers upon whom you are dependent to save your booty. Welcome to boot camp. Soldiers are made ready through hard work. Through suffering, through laboring, blisters, blood, sleeplessness, challenge, obstacles. Paul said of himself as a soldier, he said, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. I'm very aware that for some of you, you are being blown by my passion. In fact, one man said, when you preach, it's like drinking through a fire hydrant. But you see, folks, this is not a lightweight thing. If you think of the letter being written as a great orchestra piece, There is a crescendo that is being built up to, as Peter comes and he says, Now, therefore, in the light of everything I've said to you for three chapters, arm yourselves. Become a soldier, a warrior of the Most High God. And dear friends, to state the obvious, as David said early on, we are so driven in Southern California to be men and women of comfort. Even camping is a five-star hotel. Ask Chris Pierce. And so this is incredibly foreign, and I understand that. But just because it's foreign does not mean it's not true. And many of you are getting beaten. Meryl and I sat with someone whom you would know. The wife had a deliberating sickness. I mean, it took her out for days every week where she could not move. She just lay in bed. And we prayed for her. nothing really changed. We did the kind of cursory, can we pray? And then one day we just said, you know, and I won't mention her name. You know, they're family curses. And she said, whoa, 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 what does that mean? And I said, well, the enemy has an access point through your family. Somewhere in your family history, someone opened the door for demonic access. Whoa, 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 whoa. This is very weird. This is strange, strange, strange. Well, just because it's strange does not mean it's not true. And so we and someone else prayed freedom over her. For some it would mean deliverance over her. Not that she manifested, not that she hit the ground looking like a snake, but she was healed that day. She is off all her meds. She is not in bed for days every week fighting this deliberating condition with her children and what God has called them to. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in a battle. And many of you are struggling with things because you do not know how to arm yourselves. And the scripture is making this high appeal. And it says here, Paul does. He said, for we have this treasure in jars of clay. You and I are fragile, vulnerable human beings. To show that this all-surpassing greatness is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed but never in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We know how to bounce up again and again and again. We always carry around in our body, as David so wonderfully said, the death of Jesus. Describe Christianity to me in a sentence, Chris. Absolutely. I die daily. No, no, no. I didn't put my hand up for that. I put my hand up to be happy. Sorry. I put up my hand so that my dreams would be fulfilled. Sorry. I put my hand up so that God would give me a sexy wife. Sorry. Come and die. Every day. Every day you put your weapons on, it's an invitation to come and die. Every day we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down. But not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might also be uh, revealed in our body. The invitation is to arm ourselves, not to suffer, to arm ourselves for the will and purpose of God. And between arming and his purpose, there is suffering. Between going to the battlefront, as so many of our incredibly brave men and women have done in Afghanistan and Iraq, is a process of hardship every day, even at night. I remember them coming into the barracks during boot camp. At two o'clock in the morning, they'd flick all the lights on, and they'd get the fire hydrant out, and they would water the place down, rip our beds open, uh, uh, and, and just create an absolute mess, and they'd say, well, you see... You guys live as pigs. How will you ever be a soldier in the South African army? Clean up, make your beds, change your sheets. And I'm like a 22 year old college graduate. I wanna say to hell with you buddy, I'm married. I've got a degree, you're a 19 year old punk. That's what I think. But I somehow in the back of my mind knew that he was preparing me to be a warrior to be able to shoot my weapon and to defend myself and my family and the possessions that God had given us and the future that he's given to us. The call to arms. It's so interesting. I'm reading this great book, The Empire of the Summer Moon. It's a story of the Comanche tribe, the rise and fall of the Comanches, around about the middle of the 18th century, uh, 19th century. It's a sublime book. It's an historical account, and what's interesting, and this was before the Europeans moved from the East Coast into Comancherio, into the Comanche Territory, it was when they were fighting other smaller Indian tribes, defeated them, exterminated some of them, extinguished some of them. Then they fought the Spanish, the conquistadors who came with their iron, and they destroyed them. What was it about each one of these? Why did they do what they did? From the Comanches, the Apaches, the Spanish, and then those Europeans who moved to the front under the notion that their wives could be killed, their daughters raped, taken captive, which all of which happened. It was an underlying sense that we have a divine purpose on this land. The call to arms is the belief that I'm doing something with divine conviction. The Vikings shattled Europe. The only place they never conquered was Ireland. And they faced in the Irish Celts an incredible determination to fight. In fact, one author I read said that they were more scared of the Irish woman than of the Irish men. And many of the Irish women would go into battle, all of them with their faces painted, without tops on, They ran screeching and screaming at the Vikings who were themselves incredibly scary human beings. And they conquered England, Scotland. They conquered up through France, Germany, whatever. But they never conquered them. And the authors ask why. And there's a fundamental reason. We have a right to this property. We have a reason why we're here. We will fight for our families. We will fight for our possessions. And we will fight for your future. Now, if we don't have that, dear friends, by spirit-driven conviction, you and I will not be warriors for the Most High. We will not arm ourselves, and the moment the go and get stuff, we tap out. I don't want this Christianity. Hell no. I want a softer one. You want every Sunday night, you want me to come and worship with that? No, no, no. No, 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 no. I will go when it suits me. Man, I'd hate to fight in an army who arrives when it suits them. I need to know you by my side and that you know I'm by your side. That when the going gets tough, you look up and there's Chris and Dan and Tyler and Susie and uh, Shelly. You need to know that we are standing alongside you. Not, oh, two o'clock in the morning at the hospital. No, no, it really isn't suitable. I need, you know me, I need eight hours sleep. I, I cannot get by without eight hours sleep. When you're a soldier, that doesn't matter. Listening to my brother and some of my close friends, two, three, four o'clock in the morning, driving the streets, protecting their family, their possessions, and their future. That's the thread and the theme. Do you want a future? You've got to fight for it. Do you want a family? You've got to fight for it. I have fought for my kids' spouses in the spirit, in prayer. It's not coming. It's not just going to happen. Look across the room, feel a little warm and fuzzy. Now, there is destiny here. There's family, there's possessions, and there's a future, and I've got to arm myself for that stuff. Remember Paul Revere, April the 18th, 19th, 1775, popularized by Longfellow's great poem, although not historically fully accurate. See, through the night wrote Paul Revere, and through the night went his cry a lot more. What do you want through the night? You're a silversmith, an artist, a maker of jewelry. Go to bed. Go to sleep because that's way more comfortable than riding your steed through the darkness of the April skies. Getting arrested three times, I think, and managing to talk his way out of it. To every Middlesex village and farm, a cry of defiance and not of fear, a voice in the darkness, a knock at the door, and a word that shall... Echo forevermore forborn on the night wind of the past throughout all our history to the last. In the hour of darkness and peril and need, the people were awakened and listened to hear the hurrying hoofbeats of that steed. And the midnight message of Paul Revere, arm yourselves. The British are coming. What were they fighting for? Their family, their possessions, their future. We don't understand this, do we? Go to Israel. Go to Israel and see a nation that lives in a state of war that every man and woman has a uniform and a weapon tucked away in their closet and in a couple of hours can be mobilized during the Syrian conflict of 1964, I believe. My dates might be a little wrong. One Israeli tank took on 100 Syrian tanks and defeated them. Why? Because they were advancing for the joy of conquest, but he and the team were fighting for family, possessions, and the future. What are you fighting for? We have an enemy, dear friends, and this enemy has schemes. Two Corinthians two eleven. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. We're not unaware of his schemes. What is his scheme against you? Do you know? When the British came to South Africa. They were the might, the global powerhouse. The redcoats came from conquering. The sun never set on the British Empire is what they said from Japan and the east all the way to the west. And they found a bunch of farmers with horses and guns. My forebears. What were the British fighting for? Imperial conquest. What were my family, literally blood family, fighting for? Family, possessions, and a future. And eventually, the only way the Brits could defeat the Boers, slash and burn, burn the farms down. Take all the wives and children and put them in concentration camps that wasn't designed by the Reich. I have family who died in concentration camps. I sat on my grandpa's bed, and he would look me in the eyes, and I'll speak English, not Afrikaans, and he said, I'll never forget the English. They killed our women and our children. Never forget. So what's put inside of me a warrior spurred Opa, Axel Neut, Vergeetne. I'll never forget. As this little blonde headed kid sitting on his Opa's bed, I'll never forget that I will fight for my family. I will fight for my property, if you wish, and I will fight for my future. It will never be taken away from me. What are the enemy's schemes against you? Well, I'll tell you what it was against these people. You've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless while living, and they heap abuse on you. That was his tactics because he used the excess of what God's given us in sensuality and sexuality, what is beautiful, authored by God for a woman to look beautiful and a man to look however you ladies want us to look, I don't know. And, 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 and God authored the joy and the celebration and the curiosity of sexual intimacy. God created that in covenant, a man and a woman once for all time. God created that. And the enemy said, oh, hmm. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll change just a tad, just a little bit. So what he did is he used idols to drive the challenge. Behind every one of these lusts and debauchery are idols, spirits that drive that, that makes it so curious. Why would a woman or a man go and ply their sexual trade with strangers, opening themselves up to abuse and loss of virtue and respect, that is not within our humanness. No little girl says, can I be a prostitute one day? In fact, their tendency is to close their legs because somehow in the God-authored beauty is to restrain myself and to hold back, to give away one day to someone who is worthy of my deepest covenantal affection. And then he says, I got it. I got it. I will create a spirit, and spiritual energy, if you was a spiritual being, to drive that agenda. Why are so many Christians struck in pornography? Is it just, well, we need to change your behavior a little bit, just get to see a psychologist? No. Psychologists will help. That's fine. It's just a baby. No, 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 no. It's way more than that. It's fighting for your family, fighting for your property fighting for your future. My brother had an affair. He tells the story publicly. I'm not hiding anything. And he said, Chris, the most difficult thing I ever had to do was to sit with my kids and tell them the whole story. Why? Because we're not designed for that. We're not authored or created for that. We think it's just a flippant thing. One night stand, a couple of beers, too many, and then I go and sleep with you. Oh, I feel so bad the next morning. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, it's far more complicated than that. My soul is attached to that one night stand, Paul tells me. Because intimacy is created for unity. Oneness. Togetherness. Idols, then. Use what Douglas Murray in his great book, The Madness of Crowds, refers to, where the crowds are mad. Why aren't you doing what we're all doing? Oh, you know, I'll just be a testimony for Jesus. I'll just go and have a couple of shots and a half dozen beers because you know what? I'm just I'm just being Jesus today. No, sir, you're not. You are just bowing to your sensual desires. Where Jesus said wine and bread, and the enemy says, oh, no, 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 shots and six-pack. And the enemy takes what's beautifully sensual, authored and created by God. Please don't think to be a Christian means you are sexually boring. Please don't think that. It's sexually beautiful. I know I've been married 41 years. Met Mary when she was 15. Married her when she was 18. We've been together a long time. It's a beautiful thing. Honestly, to look at a woman who turns 60 in a few weeks' time and to be mesmerized by her beauty is a remarkable grace gift.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know, I can understand why Joshua asked for the sun to stand still. You know what I'm saying? The gospel was born under the idea that as he, God said, I am, therefore I say I am, because my identity is in him. Rousseau, I believe it was, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who said, I think, therefore I am. So now it's not a spiritual identity attached to divinity. Now it's attached to my mindset. I think, therefore I am. But late modernity or post-modernity says, no, 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 no. I feel, therefore, I am. Now, I need to try and land this, and there's so jolly much to say. Carl Truman. I really strongly recommend this book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Cultural Amnesia, expressive, Expressive Individualism, and the Road to the Sexual Revolution is profound. You've got to read it slowly. It is profound. But he says, in addressing the behavior that comes to prominence through the sexual revolution, we're actually not speaking so much about practices as we are speaking about identities. And ladies and gentlemen, what the enemy has got right is he has attached my identity to my sexuality That's another whole series, not a singular message. But when we allow that to take its course, I feel, therefore I am. Who determines the boundaries? You millennials, Gen Zs, you know the conversation better than I. Who, who determines the boundaries? Oh, no, Chris, you know that they love each other, so it's okay. Really? Have you thought about that for just a little bit? Well, I'll tell you what a professor at uh, Old Dominion University did. He said, and I quote from the Guardian Mail, a university professor has sparked outrage after claiming it is not immoral for adults to be sexually attracted to children and saying pedophiles should be called minor attracted persons. It is a college professor who happens to be transgender who has written a book on how we need to honor and validate people who have minor attraction. Michel Voucault, the great postmodern philosopher, was the one who said... That if the child consents, the adult can have sex with. No, 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 it's just because I feel. See, I, I, I like having sex with babies, and, and, and that six year old's fine. They arrested a man for having sex with his goat. And they said, No, you can't do that. He said, No, no, I asked the goat first. See what happens when the enemy takes something beautiful and through idolatry, the persons behind these issues is pretty soon we end up in a boundless thing. You know why the Me Too movement is dying? You don't hear much about it anymore. Because suddenly they have to draw lines in the sand and no one wants to. Because that counters the very idea of I feel, therefore I am. There is, dear friends, a beautiful way Peter lands this. He creates such an alternative story. He says, Be alert and sober minded so that you might pray, because prayer is our great weapon. He says, Would you love each other deeply? Oh, but our culture has narcissism of self love, living the opposite. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. No, why would I want to do that? I'm just self-absorbed. I'll do what suits me. Use your gifts to serve. Well, why must I do that? I just look after my own interests. Use your gifts to speak, but I'm so self-preoccupied. I'm on my phone. Meryl and I were at Maui two weeks ago. It was devastating. It's not the disease of the young. We walked along the beach enamored with a beauty which swam with turtles it was exquisite and to my horror boomer after boomer after boomer was sitting on one of the most beautiful beaches in the world on their phone what trauma self-absorption it's not beauty that captivates me it's not my spouse or partner that captivates me it's not my kids playing in the sand that captivates me it's the self-absorption this little instrument that is way more demonic than godly. He lands with us. I'm just trying to find a place to land. Verse 11, so that in all things God might be praised through Christ Jesus. To him be glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, arm yourselves. Arm yourselves. We're in a fight. We're in a fight for our family. We're in a fight for our possessions. Because he comes to rob, kill, and to destroy. And we're a fight for our future. It is not an automatic. And the invitation tonight is we come to communion, the sacraments, the Eucharist, whichever you wish. There is wine on that side. There is grape juice on that side. I wonder if the residents could come up. I've asked the residents team administrate the sacraments tonight but here's my invitation Jesus said unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood you will have no part of me or said another way it's an invitation to come and die can I ask you please within the passion of my message and I've tried not to be too oh, scary do you consider arming yourself and letting it start tonight there there the body of our lord jesus christ that was broken for you arm yourself with his brokenness the gospel the blood of our lord jesus wine grape juice because therein lies the full cleansing power that we have so we can defeat an enemy committed to our demise hey guys and girls, i know some of you struggle sexually And that's most of what's there, carousing, drunkenness, lusts, that's all in there. Can tonight be the beginning of a new realization? Can tonight be the invitation of the rediscovery of the beauty and the virgin wonder of your body? Can tonight be the beginning as you've wrestled with pornography and your mind is stained by those images that haunt you day and night because they do? it be that as you drink of the wine the grape juice Jesus can cleanse you cleanse your mind your prefrontal cortex and everything that it has been seared with could it be that tonight there is an invitation for God to come and cleanse your mind do I believe that absolutely do I believe that God can wipe that from my mind absolutely absolutely of you struggling with same-sex attraction. It's hard, isn't it? See, I'm heterosexual and I'm 63 but I still find women beautiful. I'm covenant to one. We're going to go into our 80s together and then she'll like me. It's not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy. But this is an invitation to come and say, God, I'm broken sexually. Could you take this broken me could you could you do something with this broken me maybe you were abused as a six-year-old can I exchange your wholeness for my brokenness and can I come and allow you to cleanse my mind my body with the power of the gospel and the cross would you stand with me